Amen. What a great hymn. Turn with me tonight in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <coughs> We're reading from verse 13 to the end. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, my text tonight is found really in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It reads, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it's those words, to die is gain, that I want us to think about. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. Now my theme tonight I've entitled, How should a true born-again believer view death? Or what happens to a true believer when he comes to the gate of death? What happens to him or her after death? You see, it was Job that asked the question, Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? You see, death is like closed doors, like shut gates. But once opened, we have to ask the question, well, what lies beyond them for those that enter through them? Now, death, of course, is a somber subject. It's a subject many wish to avoid, refuse to discuss. They don't want to think about. But the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about death. Think of Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, that they were wise. Oh, that they understood this that they would consider their latter end. Wasn't it Moses prayed? So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You see, death is a sad fact. It's a terrible reality. Families can be plunged into mourning. Think of the day in which we live. Is this not a day of national mourning? When I thought about this subject last week, I, I wasn't thinking about a, a display of national mourning in the United Kingdom. Think of the affection that the people had for our beloved late queen, Queen Elizabeth II. As I've said, Queen Elizabeth II died on Thursday night, the 8th of September, at 6.30 at Balmoral. She was aged 
96. And the majority of the UK citizens and the 14 nations of the Commonwealth, they're truly sad. And they have joined in this period of national mourning. Oh yes, we have a few individuals who have been wholly disrespectful. And they have displayed dreadful behavior, almost rejoicing and gloating in the death of our beloved monarch. I think of what happened in the pub in Newcastle and down in Shamrock Rovers football. You know, the Bible says, and I was thinking about this over there in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the heart of mirth. Now today there's a great interest in what happens to people after they die. Hollywood, Netflix, they have jumped in the bandwagon, taken up the theme, and they, they seek to put forth their notion of what happens to people after death. But we tonight, of course, are going to stick with what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches. We're going to let the Word of God be our guide. It's our rule of faith and practice. We believe tonight that heaven is real, hell is real. We believe tonight that this life is not all that there is. We believe tonight there's, there's life after death. We believe tonight we're only here for a short time. People get seven years, some get 70, some get 80. Some, like the queen, get 96. Some get over 100. I was thinking of the oldest woman in Northern Ireland recently who celebrated, I think it was 101, 102. And in the earthly pilgrimage that we all have, we're here, of course, to make preparation for the great eternity. Better to enter the house of mourning than the house of mirth. Why? Because we're brought face to face with life's greatest reality, that we're to prepare to meet God in eternity. So we're thinking tonight of what happens to a true believer on the day and the moment of his or her death. I want you to think of the thoughts, if you link it up with our text, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Think of the words to die. Here's a reminder of death. Now, now what is death? Young people, listen to me carefully. Death is the separation of body, soul, and spirit. It, death is when the soul leaves the body. There's 19 references in the scriptures to individuals, and we read of them when they died, that they gave up the ghost. That is, the soul left the body. You see, at death, the soul and the body are separated. Think of Paul's words now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Or chapter 5 verse 8. Absent from the body. What is absent from the body? The soul leaves the body. The soul is now absent from the body. The body remains. The body is left cold and lifeless. The body is like it's put into a deep sleep. Is not what Paul meant, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. It's not annihilation. It's not ceasing to exist. And it's definitely not soul sleep. The Bible doesn't teach soul sleep. 
It's not the soul that goes to sleep. It's the body. That's the invention and teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses and the um, Seventh-day Adventist movement. They twist and distort a few obscure references to try and prove their point. But death, and this is what death is, death is the leaving the body. The soul leaves the body. And the soul leaving the body is a powerful reminder that this life is more than just material, more than just physical. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, describes the body like a tent. You think of a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. Think of the tabernacle. It was a temporary house for God. The time come, of course, when the tent had to be taken down and, and moved on. And, and you see, at physical death, the soul takes its leave from the body. Remember, there's three types of death when you think of the Bible and various references. There's physical death. The Bible says the body without the spirit is dead. Death is real. Death is painful. Death is not the end of the individual. But those that are left behind enter into a period of grief and loss and mourning. And isn't that what we have now for the royal house? And these other families that we mentioned. And then there's another kind of death, and it's spiritual death. And of course, the, the, the Bible tells us there, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they died spiritually. Here's what God said, Genesis 2 and 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The word surely die means in dying thou shalt die. And here's proof that they spiritually died. When God came to call them in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from God. They were afraid of him. They began to blame each other. Remember the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8 and verse Seven, he made this um, statement because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in the verse 14, we read this uh, tremendous statement speaking of the natural man. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And you see, all who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and are born again by the Spirit of God, they are made alive to God. And they're found in Christ. And the Bible says in Revelation 14 and 13, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And not everyone dies in the Lord. It's only those who are born again and blood-washed and found in Christ. You see, many tonight in Northern Ireland don't know him. They've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. They, they, they don't love him. And the question of Job, man, dieth and wasteth away and giveth up the ghost, where is he? And that's a good question. Because, you see, those who die without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who die in their sins, Jesus said, where I am, you cannot be. And the Bible then speaks of a third kind of death. We'll call it eternal death. That's eternal separation from God from all eternity. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 talks about this being the second death. 
Listen to the word of God tonight. Revelation 21 and verse 8, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now just remember tonight that all death is the result of sin. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Death is the result of sin. We can speak about the universality of death because there's the universality of sin. 1 Timothy 5 and 6 says, talks about one being dead while she liveth. He's an individual and they've got physical life. But they're dead even though they're alive. That means they haven't got spiritual life. They're living for the here and now, the things of the world, sin and sinful pleasures. And if they die in that state unrepentant, then they'll end up eternally separated from God from all eternity in this awful place called hell. And one day in the time to come, death and hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible tells us that is the second death. So here's the reminder of death. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. What is death? It's the soul leaving the body. And in death, there's a physical death. The body dies. There's a separation of the soul from the body. The soul leaves the body. And the body of a believer in Christ goes to sleep. We'll come to that in a little moment. Also, the second thing I want to teach you is this. There's a realization at death. You see, at the moment of death, while there is an absence from the body, there's also, listen to me carefully, a present with the Lord. Isn't that what Paul says? If you turn over there to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he, he says this in verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. What does present with the Lord mean? It means they've entered into heaven. You see, the soul of every true believer at the moment of death in Christ is ushered into the immediate presence of the Lord. That is, they enter heaven. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between place. There's no limbo. There's no waiting to see if you're good enough to enter heaven. There's no waiting to undergo a period of purification. If we answer Job's question, where is he? Here's the answer. He's either in heaven with Christ for all eternity. He's at home with the Lord. He's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Or he's in this awful place of eternal separation called hell. Now, I want to make that clear. The soul of every believer at the moment of death is ushered into the Lord's presence. Think of the dying thief today, and he was just dying a few minutes before Christ. Today shall thou be with me in paradise. You see, the born-again individual, the person who's washed in the blood of Christ, the person who's found in saving union with Christ, who, who dies in the Lord at that moment of death, they're ushered into the Lord's immediate presence. That's why Spurgeon could say death is but the vestibule to glory. It's like a stepping stone, stepping out of time into God's heaven. 
D.L. Moody at his death talked about earth receding and heaven opening. Sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem, washed in the blood of the Lamb. But not only is that realization at death real, but there's an additional realization. In addition to entering into heaven, the soul of every true believer is immediately perfected in heaven. And that's the experience of God's elect in heaven. You see, if you're in Christ here tonight and you're found in saving union with the Lord Jesus, in this body, in this life, you battle with sin. You struggle with sin. You'll never be perfect this side of eternity. At times you're overcome. You'll never, ever reach a state of perfection this side of God's eternity. You can't in your own strength or power. But immediately upon death, your soul is made perfect. It's perfected in sanctification and holiness. Maybe you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I believe that. I, I, I'm not convinced. Well, turn over with me in the book. Let the book speak tonight. Turn over there to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. We're reading here about things that are in heaven. There's seven things. Let me read them out to you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, four, and to God the judge of all, five, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, six, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, seven, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now I want you to notice the fifth thing, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, where are these just men? They're in heaven. And the Bible teaches us here, when we think about heaven, you're familiar with the thought, none that defileth shall enter in. And over in Revelation 21 and verse 27, it says, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And what I'm saying tonight, not only do these souls enter heaven, but they experience in heaven, the moment they get there, a full and complete sanctification. They are perfected in holiness. They're fully and finally delivered from sin. They're fully and finally delivered from all and every trouble in this life. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness in this life. We're grieved and we're vexed by sin. That's true of individuals and their personal sins. That's true of the nation in regard to national sins. How we've been pricked in our conscience. How we've been mourning in our spirit and, and we hate sin. Do you know Martin Luther thought one time if he went into the monastery and became a monk, he could escape temptation. 
sinful thoughts and desires, sinful deeds. And he discovered after a time there in the monastery that it wasn't so because he took sinful desires and sinful deeds in with him into the monastery. It wasn't on the outside. It was already in his heart. And we live in a real world tonight, folks. We're in a real spiritual battle. I think of Lot. Remember he vexed his spirit because of the filthy conversation of the wicked and their unlawful deeds and hard speeches. Listen to what the Bible says there in 2 Peter chapter 2 and in the verses 7 and 8. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Let's think about the prophet Enoch. Jude mentions him. Listen to the word of God in relation to Enoch. It says there, um, And Enoch also, the seventh from Avon, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Not only against the Savior, but against Enoch who prophesied. Do you get the picture? Here's a man that got dogs abuse in his day and generation. But one day he's going to be delivered from it all. Every believer in Christ is assured of a full and free perfection in the Savior. It was the Apostle John who taught us there in 1 John chapter 3. And in the verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear, but we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we'll be like Christ. We'll be perfect in holiness. There's not only the fullness of perfection, but there's the fruition of perfection. It happens immediately at death. As I've said about D.L. Moody on his deathbed, earth recedes, heaven openeth. Catherine Booth, when she was dying, she was the wife of the founding father of the Salvation Army, William Booth. She said this, the waters are rising and I'm not sinking. See, Paul talked about that house not built with hands, eternal in the heavens. Jesus talked about a home of many mansions. Paul talked about the souls of just men made perfect. Paul talked about being with Christ, which is far better. You see, not only there's an entrance in heaven, but there's an experience in heaven. I want you to think of something else very quickly. There's an enjoyment in heaven. Remember we preached last week, there was a door opened in heaven. And in the book of Revelation, chapter four, let me just repeat the text. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 And after this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven And what did John see through the door? He says immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven And one sat on the throne 
If you come to chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And the question was being asked in John's presence, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals? There was no man in heaven, no man on earth. And John wept. Why was he weeping? That's a good question. Something we should think about. And what was John told? Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Notice verse 6. And I beheld, and know in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirit of God, sent forth into all the earth. Oh, that we get the picture. Turn over there to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 and listen to these words. After this I held, I beheld and know a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and thrones stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. We'll come to that in a little moment. Verse 15 says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth in the throne shall dwell among them. You see, you enter heaven. At the moment of death. You've got the experience of perfection. Your soul is made perfect. And as you enter heaven. And experience the perfection of holiness. You see the throne of God. But you also see the Lamb of God. I know you'll see your loved ones in glory. The patriarchs. The prophets. The holy apostles. But as you enter in. You're entering into the very enjoyment of glory. And you'll see and hear the sound and the sight of all the holy angels in the midst of all that's going on. There'll be the assembly of the redeemed people. Revelation 7 verse 9. John asked the question about the great multitude. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7 and 14. Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Out of every nation, kindred, people all over the earth. The Lord is saving a people. Glory to God. He'll continue to save that people. Not only the assembly of the redeemed. But think of the activity of the redeemed. What are we told here? If we link all this up. Revelation chapter 7 and 9. They stood before the throne. Not only the throne of God, but the throne of the Lamb in the midst. Why stand? Is it not a mark of respect? A mark of honor? Preference? In Nehemiah's day, when he stood in the pulpit and started to preach and read from the book of the law, all the people stood up. It's a mark of respect for the word of God. And it's a mark of respect for God's throne and God's Lamb. Not only were there a standing, but there was a shouting. It says in chapter 7, verse 10, And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And also they were saluting, because we read in verse 9, And palms in their hands and cried. There was a saluting. They were joyfully acknowledging him, giving him his place. Whenever the Lord Jesus entered into Jerusalem, didn't the people wave palm branches? Sing Hosanna to the son of David who cometh in the name of the Lord. There's another activity. It's singing. There's a singing of praise to God in all the fullness of his glory. We read in 
Revelation 5 and 9, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Thou art worthy. There's praise to the Lamb. Here's the longest Sunday ever. They're serving. We read there in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 7, it says in verse 15, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Continuous service, no let up, no break. And there's satisfaction. He that sitteth in the throne shall dwell among his people. Can you get the picture tonight? Not only is the reminder of death, but there's a realization in death that you enter heaven, you experience perfection, and you begin to enjoy not only the assembly of the redeemed, but you begin to partake in this activity. Experience what they have tasted already in heaven. One final thing, our time is gone. I want you to think about a resurrection after death. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, remember the question of the Apostle Paul. He was answering a question, actually, I believe. And the question was this, what about the dead body of our loved ones? Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. See, some had said the resurrection is past. Some are arguing for soul sleep. Some are arguing for annihilation. Some was arguing that you cease to exist upon death. And Paul was thinking of the loved ones who died. That that's what asleep in Jesus means. Death is not the end. The body has just gone to sleep. And one day, Jesus Christ will bodily, personally, visibly, powerfully return to this earth in power and glory. Where will he return to? Not the United Kingdom, not the USA, not Africa. He's returning to the land of Israel. In fact, he's returning to the Mount of Olives from which he left. Zechariah chapter 14. This same Jesus shall come again in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He'll come to the very same place. And when he comes, it'll be with the shout of a king. It, it, it will be with the noise of victory. And here's what's going to happen. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's the shout of a king. With the voice of the archangel. The archangel will sound the king is coming. And with the trump of God, that's the last trumpet. Do you get the picture? And the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words... Those that have died in Christ, when he returns physically, visibly, and bodily to this earth in power and glory, they will arise to meet him in the air. How is that possible? That means that their body is going to be resurrected from the dead. Because his resurrection guarantees a resurrection for each and every believer in Christ. And there'll be the bodily resurrection of all who have died in Christ. And Jesus Christ will bring all who have died in Christ alive again and reunite their soul and their body. From Adam and Eve, from the first martyr Abel, to the last martyr, martyr just prior to his return. You see, this is not a new doctrine. This is not a recent discovery. Remember I said the days of Enoch, Jude, verse 14 and 15, prior to the flood. Behold, he cometh, Job preached. 
with ten thousands of his saints. All who die in Christ, their body will awaken, body and soul will be reunited. Oh, there's going to be a meeting in the sky. We're going up to meet him, those who have died in Christ, and all who are alive in him at that time on the earth, they also will have a resurrection. Their body too will be resurrected. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The word prevent here means hinder. It's not whisked away. The thought here is of rising up to meet him and returning with him to the earth. I struggle in a sense with the thought of the rapture and I believe it's near the end of the second coming of Christ when Christ's feet will be in the Mount of Olives. But I'm telling you tonight, there's a resurrection after death. Let me just read this verse as we close. In first, sorry, John chapter 5, we read in verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father have life in himself, so hath he given the Son to have life in himself, and hath given authority to execute judgment, and also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. There's a resurrection after death. Our time is gone. There's a redemption through death. Those in Christ at his return will enter into his millennium. They'll enter into the everlasting state. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And his saints will help him to rule. And at that moment, the last enemy, when he returns, the last enemy, which is death, will be destroyed. And it will be destroyed because there's a redemption through death. Death has been defeated but one day death will be destroyed when Jesus Christ returns in power and in glory. Here's what happens to a true believer at the moment of death. Let me ask you tonight, are you in Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you a testimony to your saving and keeping power? Was there a time when you come as a sinner and cried out, Lord, save me, I perish. For without that, you'll never enter heaven. You'll never experience perfection. You'll know nothing of the enjoyment of heaven. Neither the assembly of the redeemed or their activity. For you it will be, depart from me, ye cursed, and the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Sometime we'll look at this from a different point of view. What happens to an unbeliever when they die? 